Chapter Five, Part One of the American Language. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. The American Language by H. L. Mencken. Chapter Five: Tendencies in American. Part One: International Exchanges. More than once during the preceding chapters, we encountered Americanisms that had gone over into English, and English locutions that had begun to get a foothold in the United States. Such exchanges are made very frequently, and often very quickly, and though the guardians of English still attack every new Americanism vigorously, even when, as in the case of scientist, it is obviously sound and useful, they are often routed by public pressure and have to submit in the end with the best grace possible for example consider caucus it originated in boston at some indeterminate time before seventeen fifty and remained so peculiarly american for more than a century following that most of the english visitors before the civil war remarked its use but according to j redding ware it began to creep into english political slang about eighteen seventy and in the eighties it was lifted to good usage by the late joseph chamberlain ware writing in the first years of the present century said that the word had become very important in england but was not admitted into dictionaries but in the concise Oxford Dictionary dated 1914, it is given as a sound English word, though its American origin is noted. The English, however, use it in a sense that has become archaic in America, thus preserving an abandoned American meaning in the same way that many abandoned British meanings have been preserved on this side. In the United States, the word means, and has meant for years, a meeting of some division large or small of a political or legislative body for the purpose of agreeing upon a united course of action in the mean assembly in england it means the managing committee of a party or fraction something corresponding to our national committee or state central committee or steering committee or to the half-forgotten congressional caucuses of the twenties it has a disparaging significance over there almost equal to that of our words organization and machine moreover it has given birth to two derivatives of like quality both unknown in america caucusdom meaning machine control and caucuser meaning a machine politician footnote the oxford dictionary following the late j h trumbull the well-known authority on indian languages derives the word from the algonquin ka ka asu one who advises but most other authorities following pickering derive it from cockers the first caucuses it would appear were held in a cockers shop in boston and were called cockers meetings the rev william gordon in his history of the rise and independence of the united states including the late war published in london in seventeen eighty eight said that more than fifty years ago mr samuel adams father and twenty others one or two from the north end of the town boston where the ship business is carried on used to meet make a caucus and lay their plans for introducing certain persons into places of trust and power and a footnote
a good many other americanisms have got into good usage in england and new ones are being exported constantly farmer describes the process of their introduction and assimilation american books newspapers and magazines especially the last circulate in england in large number and some of their characteristic locutions pass into colloquial speech then they get into print and begin to take on respectability the phrase as the americans say he continues might in some cases be ordered from the type foundry as a logotype so frequently does it do introduction duty where shows another means of ingress the argo of sailors many of the americanisms he notes as having become naturalized in england for example boodle boost and walk out are credited to liverpool as a sort of halfway station travel brings in still more england swarms with americans and englishmen themselves visiting america bring home new and racy phrases bishop cox says that dickens in his american notes gave english currency to reliable influential talented and lengthy bristed writing in eighteen fifty five said that talented was already firmly fixed in the english vocabulary by that time all four words are in the concise oxford dictionary and only lengthy is noted as originally an americanism finally there is the influence of the moving pictures hundreds of american films are shown in england every week and the american words and phrases appearing in their titles subtitles and other explanatory legends thus become familiar to the english the patron of the picture palace says w g faulkner in an article in the london daily mail learns to think of his railway station as a depot he has alternatives to one of our newest words hooligan in hoodlum and tough he watches a dive which is a thieves kitchen or a room in which bad characters meet and whether the villain talks of dough or sugar he knows it is money to which he is referring the musical ring of the word tramp gives way to the stodgy hobo or deadbeat it may be that the plot reveals an attempt to deceive some simple-minded person if it does the innocent one is spoken of as a sucker a come-on a boob or a lobster if he is stupid into the bargain mr faulkner goes on to say that a great many other americanisms are constantly employed by englishmen who have not been affected by the avalanche which has come upon us through the picture palace thus to-day he says we hear people speak of the fall of the year a stunt they have in hand their desire to boost a particular business a peach when they mean a pretty girl a scab a common term among strikers the glad eye junk when they mean worthless material their efforts to make good the elevator in the hotel or office the boss or manager the crook or swindler and they will tell you that they have the goods that is they possess the requisite qualities for a given position the venerable frederick harrison writing in the fortnightly review in the spring of nineteen eighteen denounced this tendency with a vigor recalling the classical anathemas of dean alford and sydney smith 
stale american phrases he said are infecting even our higher journalism and our parliamentary and platform oratory a statesman is now out for victory he is up against pacifism he has a card up his sleeve by which the enemy are at last to be euchred then a fierce fight in which hundreds of noble fellows are mangled or drowned is a scrap to criticize a politician is to call for his scalp the other fellow is beaten to a frazzle and so on bolshevism concluded harrison sadly is ruining language as well as society but though there are still many such alarms by constables of the national speech the majority of englishmen continue to make borrowings from the tempting and ever-widening american vocabulary what is more some of these loan words take root and are presently accepted as sound english even by the most watchful the two fowlers in the king's english separate americanisms from other current vulgarisms but many of the latter on their list are actually american in origin though they do not seem to know it for example to demean and to transpire more remarkable still the cambridge history of english literature lists backwoodsman know nothing and yellowback as english compounds apparently in forgetfulness of their american origin and adds skunk squaw and toboggan as direct importations from the indian tongues without noting that they came through american and remained definite americanisms for a long while it even adds musquash a popular name for the fibers zabethicus borrowed from the algonquin musquesu but long since degenerated to muskrat in america musquash has been in disuse in this country indeed since the middle of the last century save as a stray localism but the english have preserved it and it appears in the oxford dictionary footnote in this connection it is curious to note that though the raccoon is an animal quite unknown in england there was until lately a destroyer called the raccoon in the british navy this ship was lost with all hands off the irish coast january ninth nineteen eighteen end of footnote a few weeks in london or a month's study of the london newspapers will show a great many other american pollutions of the well of english the argo of politics is full of them many beside caucus were introduced by joseph chamberlain a politician skilled in american campaign methods and with an american wife to prompt him he gave the english their first taste of to belittle one of the inventions of thomas jefferson graft and to graft crossed the ocean in their nonage to bluff has been well understood in england for thirty years it is in cassell's and the oxford dictionaries and has been used by no less a magnifico than sir almroth wright footnote to bluff has also gone into other languages notably the spanish during the cuban revolution of march nineteen seventeen the newspapers of havana objecting to the dispatches sent out by american correspondents denounced the latter as los bluffistas meanwhile to bluff has been shouldered out in the country of its origin at least temporarily by a verb borrowed from the french to camouflage 
This first appeared in the spring of 1917. End of footnote. To stump, in the form of stump oratory, is in Carlyle's latter-day pamphlets, circa 1850, and caucus appears in his Frederick the Great. Though, as we have seen on the authority of Ware, it did not come into general use in England until ten years later. Buncombe, usually spelled B-U-N-K-U-M, is in all the later English dictionaries. In the London stock market and among English railroad men, various characteristic Americanisms have got a foothold. The meaning of bucket shop and to water, for example, is familiar to every London broker's clerk. English trains are now telescoped and carry deadheads, and in 1913 a rival to the amalgamated order of railway servants was organized under the name of the National Union of Railway Men. The beginnings of a movement against the use of servant are visible in other directions, and the American help threatens to be substituted. At all events, help-wanted advertisements are now occasionally encountered in English newspapers. But it is American verbs that seem to find the way into English least difficult, particularly those compounded with prepositions and adverbs, such as to pan out and to swear off. Most of them, true enough, are still used as conscious Americanisms, but used they are, and with increasing frequency. The highly typical American verb to loaf is now naturalized, and Ware says that the loaferies is one of the common nicknames of the Whitechapel workhouse. It is curious, reading the fulminations of American purists of the last generation, to note how many of the Americanisms they denounced have not only got into perfectly good usage at home, but even broken down all guards across the ocean. To placate and to antagonize are examples. The Oxford Dictionary distinguishes between the English and American meanings of the latter. In England, a man may antagonize only another man. In America, he may antagonize a mere idea or thing. But as the brothers Fowler show, even the English meaning is of American origin, and no doubt a few more years we'll see the verb completely naturalized in Britain. To placate, attacked vigorously by all native grammarians down to, but excepting white, now has the authority of the spectator and is accepted by Cassell. To donate is still under the ban, but to transpire has been used by the London Times. Other old bugaboos that have been embraced are gubernatorial, presidential, and standpoint. White labored long and valiantly to convince Americans that the adjective derived from president should be without the I in its last syllable, following the example of incidental, regimental, monumental, governmental, oriental, experimental, and so on, but in vain, for presidential is now perfectly good English. To demean is still questioned, but English authors of the first rank have used it, and it will probably lose its dubious character very soon. The flow of loan words in the opposite direction meets with little impediment. 
for social distinction in america is still largely dependent upon english recognition and so there is an eager imitation of the latest english fashions in speech this emulation is most noticeable in the large cities of the east and particularly in what Shield Vere called boston and the boston dependencies new york is but little behind the small stores there if they are of any pretensions are now almost invariably called shops shoes for the well-to-do are no longer shoes but boots and they are sold in boot shops one encounters too in the side streets off fifth avenue a multitude of gift shops tea shops and haberdashery shops in fifth avenue itself there are several luggage shops in august nineteen seventeen signs appeared in the new york surface cars in which the conductors were referred to as guards this effort to be english and correct was exhibited over the sign manual of theodore p chance president of the interborough a gentleman of teutonic name but evidently a faithful protector of the king's english on the same cars however painted notices surviving from some earlier regime mentioned the guards as conductors to let signs are now as common in all our cities as for rent signs we all know the charwoman and have begun to forget our native modification of char to wit chore every apartment house has a tradesman's entrance in charles street in baltimore some time ago the proprietor of a fashionable stationery store directed me not to the elevator but to the lift occasionally some uncompromising patriot raises his voice against these importations but he seldom shows the vigorous indignation of the english purists and he seldom prevails white in eighteen seventy warned americans against the figurative use of nasty as a synonym for disagreeable this use of the word was then relatively new in england though according to white the saturday review and the spectator had already succumbed his objections to it were unavailing nasty quickly got into american and has been there ever since in eighteen eighty three gilbert m tucker protested against good form traffic in the sense of travel to bargain and to tub as Briticisms that we might well do without but all of them took root and are perfectly sound american today there is indeed no intelligible reason why such english inventions and improvements should not be taken in even though the motive behind the welcome to them may occasionally cause a smile english after all is the mother of american and the child until lately was still at nurse the english confronted by some of our fantastic innovations may well regard them as impudences to be put down but what they offer in return often fits into our vocabulary without offering it any outrage american indeed is full of lingering briticisms all maintaining a successful competition with native forms if we take back shop it is merely taking back something that store has never been able to rid us of we use shop-worn shop-lifter shopping shopper shop-girl and to shop every day 
in the same way the word penny has survived among us despite the fact that there has been no american coin of that name for more than a hundred and twenty-five years we have nickel in the slot machines but when they take a cent we call them penny in the slot machines we have penny arcades and penny whistles we do not play cent ante but penny ante we still turn an honest penny and say a penny for your thoughts the pound and the shilling became extinct a century ago but the penny still binds us to the mother tongue end of chapter five part one